This is UCD Business Impact. Our experts each week will offer insight, spark a little curiosity, and challenge you to think and rethink how you do business in a changing world. I'm your host, Emmett Oliver, financial editor and journalist, and lecturer at UCD College of Business. Now, you're very welcome to Business Impact. And this Christmas, only a few weeks away, will really be like no other we've had for a century, literally, in terms of this pandemic. And as you go out, if we are released from the current level five lockdowns, there'll be a lot of names, ghostly names, that are no longer on the high street. I mean, the list is amazing, really. Laura Ashley, Monsoon, Oasis, even Mother Care, Debenhams, of course, are certainly not in physical form anymore on the, on the Irish high street. J. Crew, Muji, Warehouse. I mean, the names just pop out. You know, they're just not going to be there. So it's going to be very different. And what's also going to be very different is the sheer amount of people now doing their retail business online. The figures grow every year. Before the pandemic, actually strange and surprising to me was only a fifth of online global retail sales were via the online channel. That is going to be completely upended and transformed by the pandemic. And we're going to see just the rate of increase and the acceleration of that just pick up huge pace. So what's happening in retail, both online and offline? What is coming up, of course, this week is Friday's Black Friday, an absolutely key event-driven moment for the retail industry. So here to talk about some of these things and more, and we'll see how the conversation morphs and evolves, is JP Donnelly, who is a lecturer here at the UCD Business School. He's also better known as the chairman and country manager at WPP Ireland. Um, WPP, of course, is one of the world's largest, probably the largest advertising company and does a whole range of other communications activities. You'd know brands like Ogilvy and Mather, which is uh, very much the household name in brand advertising. And JP has been working for many years in that area. He's also a keen observer of what's happening to retail, both online and offline. You're very welcome to Business Impact, JP. Thanks very much, Emmett. Nice to have you along. Now, this Friday is absolutely pivotal. Black Friday, always important, um, and certainly in recent years. But this year is going to be so different. And it could be Literally, the difference between surviving and disappearing out of the retail sector for certain businesses. So can you just talk to me a little bit about this whole Black Friday phenomenon, where it's come from, and just how pivotal it is for, for so many retailers around the globe? Absolutely. Well, some might say that Black Friday came from a whole idea that there was a crash in the price of gold way back in 1869. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, there was something about uh, how uh, prices collapsed and, and markets collapsed and that there would be fundamental change came from when they realized that it was a great opportunity in the Friday of Thanksgiving uh, to turn it into a retail sales day. And so there was, most retailers would be lose money throughout the year and that this, this sort of Friday became the day where we could make money. And uh, Black Friday was the sort of turning from the red into the black and became the major retail day going back for decades in the US and more recently then evolving into Europe, probably driven by the crash that we had in, in the noughties where it's also now become a major part of, of the retail calendar in, in Europe as well. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating one because there's a whole kind of bit of hype around. I think a lot of people who participate in Black Friday may not even end up buying anything at all. It's just something that catches up a whole load of people. But it also has been driven by the growth of online commerce. So it's not just, we used to see these pictures of people queuing in the morning, sleeping in their sleeping bags, and then be let in by the security detail into the big department stores, as you say, in the US. But it's very much become an online phenomenon too. And how, how important is it for, for the online retailers as well? 
Well, clearly in, in this COVID world that we're now living, uh, the online retail is is everything and pretty much any all retail today. Uh, inevitably, uh, retailers were going through a change to uh, build an omni-channel uh, capabilities. So being able to communicate or be able to retail through any channel. And most of them were a kind of in the journey of putting online embedding digital channels into their business. And this current COVID crisis has accelerated that change to actually make all of this probably Black Friday experience that we're going to have this week will be online. I would suspect uh, about 80 or 90% of it is likely to be online. Yes, sure, there will be some retailers that are open on the day physically or allowed to be open, depending on where they are. But most of it will obviously be online. I think in, traditionally, we are in over the last couple of years, we were seeing that trend moving over time. So maybe it'd been 80, 20, on physical versus online, 50-50 in more recent years. And I think the flip now will happen with this COVID crisis. Now, JP, should retailers really go for the Black Friday? Or are you, is there a sense that you're, you're just discounting for one day? You may not even be profitable on the particular day. Maybe you're looking to make a connection with consumers in the few months after the Black Friday event. So, so what, do you have any advice or guidance for retailers yeah, well, on how, how, well, how much they should plunge into this? It's clearly an incentive for deal-making and uh, for most retailers, it's an opportunity to present their propositions and to maybe even test out new propositions, new value propositions and new, new brand experiences and so forth. But it is, uh, it is primarily a deal-driven event. It's a festival of prices. Um, so at one, the, the paradox of it is at one level, you're, you're, you're stimulating great trade, great volume. But another level, you're probably educating your consumer to be more discount-oriented or discount-led. So there is a danger of that. So getting that balance right is really important. There are some brands, some of the more luxury brands perhaps, that don't go into this uh, this Black Friday with any particular deal. But I think inevitably, if you aren't alive and active in Black Friday, you don't have a business right now. That seems to be the, the kind of learning right now, that if you're not visible, in this, in this particular event or festival, then you're probably missing out on a major retail opportunity in your business. So that's probably the real challenge. And you've got then Cyber Monday following it up, which is the electronic. Well, these are the, and these are the things that happen, So, uh, which is, again, maybe how we're living in a more social commerce world where we're creating festivals and activities to stimulate trade. And Cyber Monday then is, is either the, for all those who didn't really connect with Black Friday or for those who uh, didn't get the deals they want, they're waiting again for another go at it. Uh, so the retailer is using the idea of extending it into a, a Cyber Monday, extending the weekend from the Friday, the Black Friday of this Friday, Thanksgiving Friday into the, the following Monday. Um, and again, there are other festivals throughout the year. So it, it is a, it's becoming a way and means of stimulating traffic. And I think maybe in, when we're living in this online world, we, we need more festivals and more events, create occasions that can actually drive trade and drive traffic. Now, JP, one of the things I wanted to talk to you, we had um, Dr. Damien McLaughlin on the podcast a few months ago, and he was covering the almost ceaseless rise of Amazon and whether you kind of cooperate with them in some way, if that's even possible? Are you trying to oppose them or compete with them as a smaller retailer? You know, how do you manage the juggernaut that is Amazon? But you're, they're coming from the West. We tend to, they get a lot, they soak up a lot of press print and column inches because of who they are and Jeff Bezos and owns the Washington Post, et cetera, et cetera. So we have become a little bit Amazon obsessed 
But coming from the East is a different company that I'm hoping you're going to talk to us and our listeners a little bit about and what they bring to the party, which is Alibaba. Um, I think it's the time of the year when they're worth talking about. Can, can you just walk us through some of the incredible things they're doing uh, that really is changing the face of retailing as we know? It? Yeah. So first of all, I, you know, Amazon and Alibaba, it's a good way of looking at one comes from the East and one comes from the West. Amazon is a retailer. And it's a retailer, obviously, that we all know the story and the history. It started out as a book retailer and, and eventually grew into all sorts of other retail uh, services, uh, so much so that it, it's, uh, it bought Whole Foods um, and it's bought other, uh, other services. It bought a company called PillPay recently, and that's, uh, they've re- just literally offered uh, discounts in generic drugs of up to 80% and 40% on branded products in the last couple of days. So they're out to disrupt uh, they are a pure retailer company, direct to consumer. Uh, they're a customer-driven company. We, their philosophy is phenomenal, and their scale and scope is is incredible. And if you actually, we talk a lot about the in in retail world. We talk about the last mile. In in the digital world, we will talk in retail digital. We talk about the first mile. And Amazon now is as as large in in search uh, for retail search as every other uh, search uh, portal uh, there is. So, so if you take, uh, where do 52% of consumers now go to Amazon first to search for retail opp- opportunities, primarily in the West. But in the East, um, Alibaba uh, grew out of a different way. So Alibaba would be, I would see that more as an ecosystem, as a marketplace, you know, as a B2B marketplace, a B2C marketplace, and even a C2C marketplace. And it has a, a number of dimensions to its ecosystem, whether it's the core commerce capabilities, it has a mobile and media entertainment capabilities, and it has local service capabilities. And they've built up an ecosystem with cloud, through cloud computing, through marketing services, logistics, payments, and financial services to create this uh, platform for mainly Asian businesses, but now growing worldwide uh, for them to uh, promote their brands and, and uh, businesses. And they, they captured a gap called 1111 uh, or double 11, and it's now become, which they called Singles Day. So nice play on the, on the numbers of 1111, uh, kind of a, a counter to Valentine's Day. They created a Singles Day. So they created an event and that Singles Day event has become the biggest retail uh, event ever. Last year, uh, they sold 38 billion on that in that 24 hours alone. This year, they sold 74 billion. On the and what, what what is Singles Day? Just explain that to me. What, so Singles Day about. is where again, uh, I think there are something like five million shops would be actively uh, promoting on that on that on that on the Alibaba uh, commerce ecosystem platform. Uh, there were 250,000 brands, 800 million consumers. Uh, all took part in the day. Now the day did the, the day last year was in one day. They've kind of learned to extend the season a little bit more, and there are sort of three phases now. Phase one is sort of the first to the third, where they, where they, where there's a, an, an early sale or a pre-sale of November, and then the fourth to the tenth is a browsing, and then bang again, you've got your 24 hours. So it is a most phenomenal event. I think we have ever experienced. Um, we don't see it as much over here in the west of, of, of the world. Um, but it is an incredible experience. JP, one of the things you distinguish between Amazon and Alibaba is essentially, now I don't know whether this is their strategy, but the effect of Amazon often is to displace existing retailers. But you see a difference in the sense that 
Alibaba is kind of bringing them in, subsuming them or partnering up with them and kind of giving them, as you said, access to the platform. Do you see that as kind of a, a key difference between Amazon and Alibaba in the way their, their, their business model operates? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you can't, I think for businesses and brands, companies, we're probably going to have to learn how to collaborate with both. But one will, one will give them, certainly if you're thinking about doing business in Asia now, or more importantly in China, you really, your, your best bet is to go build a partnership with Alibaba. It's, it's going to give you the, it's going to give you the, all of the fundamentals that will help you enter into the market. Um, you know, in the, we always talked about how difficult it was to, to be a outsider coming into a market like China or Asia. This gives you a real access capability and lots of um, infrastructure to actually be able to do it. But uh, yeah, one is a one is a, a disintermediator, I suppose, and one is a marketplace. And and these are the choices and, and options that we have to to build our businesses. Now, JP, a lot of this is digital. We, we'll come on to um, probably less so in terms of time allocation, but we'll come on to the the bricks and mortar piece in a few minutes. But in terms of the digital journey, I know that you teach a course here at UCD on digital transformation and I'm sure retail forms a, a reasonable part of that as well and I was amazed talking to you just before we, we started recording is just how resistant some businesses remain to the digital journey like I presumed that everyone was small and large everyone was well advanced on transforming their business from a digital perspective but from what you're telling me there's still a lot of resistance there's a lot of kind of um, slow thinking here you know people are not being as agile as they should be looking towards the future um, just talk to me a little bit about how far we are in Ireland, at least, uh, in terms of retailers, but other businesses as well, in, in advancing their, their kind of digital offering. I, I think in Ireland, we, there's kind of two cultures probably going on, or two, uh, two tiers to the Ireland market. I always say there's a kind of a domestic Ireland and a global Ireland. And, and domestic Ireland is probably still caught up in being quite tactical in, in sort of trying to retain the business as usual model and, um, and hold on to as much income as they can to service the existing customer base. Uh, the global Ireland business is reinventing their models, bringing new technologies into their capabilities and getting probably uh, reinventing their boundaries beyond just the domestic market. So you're seeing a, a, a divide going on. And it's very natural for legacy businesses to be somewhat trapped in, 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 a, in a traditional business model, whether it's a, a cultural trap, a talent trap, or an ecosystem trap. We're, we're, we're naturally trapped. We're always trapped, a, a metrics trap, even how we measure our numbers, how we, how we measure our people. So we get trapped in these, in these uh, particular spaces of that is about which end up servicing our existing businesses. And the challenge today is that digital, which many thought was just another channel, is much more than this. It is the fundamental elements, essence of your business in the 21st century. And if you don't have a digital vision for your business, you probably don't have a business really in the long term. So it really the concept is getting your head around digital for starters and embedding a vision, a digital vision into your business, no matter what your business is, you need a digital vision. And, uh, and that's not to say, so you have to get out of the mindset that it is a channel, but it is actually the infrastructure of your business. And I think that's the challenge that people have. They're still in that old paradigm, maybe adding digital on as a channel and not actually reinventing their core business to actually do uh, something about it. And that's yeah. the journey that we do. We go through in the course. We work, we talk to legacy businesses. 
We talk to young tech ventures and startups, and we talk to the digital technology companies because really the digital techs and the tech venture companies are the people who are going to disintermediate some or all of of the existing legacy businesses. So if you're not actually engaging with those companies and building what we would call now an ecosystem model, not a, just a linear model, you build an ecosystem model, that in, start, in turn starts to help you pave a path or create a pathway, a route map anyway of some kind that helps you get out of the old paradigm and into a new paradigm. One of the things I noticed, uh, again, in preparation for this piece, because I knew you were coming on to talk about retail in the main, but one of the things I noticed was all the closures, the administrations, the liquidations of retail companies. You're trying to sort of draw some kind of wider meaning of all the names. And I've, I've mentioned some of them at the top of the podcast, whether it be Laura Ashley, Debenhams, etc. Yeah. There does seem to be a skew in there towards fashion, um, consumer goods, very price sensitive, potentially sectors. Um, do, you, do you think that this disintermediation, and it's a hard word to say, by the way, always a yeah. challenging one in a podcast context, but in that process, do you think it's going to be most challenging for people in those areas, the consumer goods kind of parts of the retail sector? They're, they're the ones most exposed, certainly in terms of bricks and mortar, they've been suffering hellish a uh, few years and, and there's obviously wider issues than just the digital piece but do you think that's where the, the kind of the point of exposure is at its most fierce is in that particular sector or do you think it's right across the whole economy it's certainly right across the whole economy but i, I think yeah retail is the physical manifestation of what we see now and we are we are at a, a serious point of inflection certainly the catalyst is covid uh, business models are bust <laughs> most business models are bust and uh, and now the question is is your brand model strong enough to help you to uh, facilitate the change but uh, yes uh, i think what we're seeing is consumers are shopping online so we know that that's happening Mobile is going to be the main vehicle. So if you, again, take the Alibaba comparison, 90-odd percent of the transactions in singles day are on mobile. So 74 billion. And indeed, I think they do sales of something like 1 trillion every year anyway. 90% of those are on mobile. And that mobile uh, transactions are up to eight times a day. Like consumers are shopping eight times a day uh, through their mobile. That's an extraordinary figure, isn't it? Eight times a day, I mean... I'm more eight times a year personally, but that's just me. <laughs> and that, so that's the thing. So it's going to start there. Now, does that mean that people never go to retail shops, physical retail shops? Absolutely not. In fact, if anything, the role of the physical retail shop will change. But there, And there are great opportunities for those brands and organizations that were suddenly disintermediated by the technology uh, to actually uh, create new services or new experiences in which they can uh, bring engagement and and opportunity to create value. And what, what are those, JP, just to, to pause you there, can you give us one or two kind of opportunities you do see for the, the bricks and mortar sector? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, it, it, for some of those brands, it might be just going out in and experiencing the brands and trying them and testing out and experimenting, but you end up doing the actual physical transaction online. Again, we see that in a lot of clothing. Like if you take a Burberry or something like that, you know, where again, they're, they're building retail propositions that are more about a brand experience um, not, not, and, the, and most of the transactions then are done online. So that's a way that you can actually do it. You know, even if you think about and you watch uh, the behavior over this Christmas, you will probably see people go into boots and so forth and, and look at different packages and ideas and get ideas for things go down to brand promises. But then they'll probably go home and they'll do their purchasing online. You know, so in that experience, obviously, that's where you want to actually 
uh, find a way of starting to build your discussion and your relationship with your with your consumer and slowly but surely build a connect them into your experience and connect them into your customer journey and fundamentally connect them into the transaction at the end of the day so 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 the online or sorry the 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 on street store is 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 almost supporting the online product rather than the other way around which would have been the case say 10 or 15 years ago yeah exactly um, other thing I wanted to talk to you about is is the company you're involved with yourself, WPP Ireland. Is it for for those who aren't immersed in the world of advertising, communications, public relations? This is this is a huge, you know, global elephant in the room. It's a really big company with with a lot of interests, a lot of assets, a lot of brands. Uh, you're a Irish country manager and chairman of the company here. It's been on its own journey, and and I, I don't want to take up too much time on this because the company is it, it's it's a big story. It's a long story, but just can you give us in summarize form the journey that company has been on it's associated with a, a man called martin sorrell who's really kind of a yeah. an advertising guru he's sort of an industry spokesperson and thought leader but li- leaving him aside for a moment just the journey that that company's been on because it's not just you saying all these businesses have to do this you and your colleagues have kind of had to make that journey yourselves over the last five to ten years yeah, I, think, I think wpp's transition is the transition that every company is going through uh, and indeed, you know, interestingly, the, the, the change in leadership from Martin Sorrell to Mark Reed is a good example of, of a, a point of inflection and a time of change. You know, Martin built up a phenomenal business, became the, the absolute leader in the business, uh, bought brands like Ogilvy & Mather and J. Walter Thompson and Jürgen Rubicam and & Gray, bought all the big global brands and, and learned how to, I suppose, uh, commercialize them in all sorts of other different ways. And one of the people who worked for him was Mark Reed. And Mark Reed was probably responsible for helping build the digital footprint of WPP. He drove that evolution. And indeed, as part of that um, digital uh, side of the business, it was also geographic growth. So, uh, so when, when it came for change, uh, Mark Reed's vision was to change the business from a holding company to a creative transformation company. And that's an interesting way of even phrasing how we were going to change because first and foremost, we were saying we were no longer just a holding company, which had three and a half thousand different companies, by the way, and 130,000 employees. Um, It was actually trying to get this one company philosophy embedded into the organization. And then the other two words, creative and transformation, were two other important words, creativity being at the heart of everything that we do. We're a creative business, unlike maybe other types of businesses that are in the transformation world, other consultancies, we have creativity at the heart of our business and we're about transformation. And so we are about helping companies grow and change. And so in doing that, in in redefining that business, we also redefine the architecture of our business and we built four pillars as a framework around which we were going to reconstruct these three and a half thousand companies, how we were going to create an open collaboration culture and those four pillars were communication, what we do, what it says in the tin, uh, but also uh, experience, commerce, and technology. And this is the, this is the same uh, challenges for every legacy business that they're going through. Those three elements, experience, customer experience, the ability of commerce to help build your own channels. Every business is now probably a retail business, as I say, in another course I teach. And then finally, technology. That If you don't, technology is so pervasive now, you've got to embed technology into your business or digital technologies into every business, every part of your business. So we're, we're now uh, re-architecting our group uh, to offer those services and to uh, help provide that transformation for businesses today. 
COVID has come along and has accelerated that opportunity for us. So in many ways, the foresight of Mark Reed to build that architecture has been brilliant. And we are building that architecture here in Ireland as well. And we're providing these services, uh, working with both our network partners and ourselves here locally, our partners in Dublin, to provide those services. Now, we keep an eye on how that goes. As you said, it's kind of a, a dynamic piece. It's evolving fast, and you're definitely a market leader in that industry. I wanted to talk as well a little bit about the audience, not just for WPP, but for all of these businesses you're talking about. And we're, we're very much moving into the era of Gen Z. A lot of marketeers are trying to find ways to access them. You know, traditional advertising, which you know you know a lot about, is being disrupted big time. I mean, above the line advertising campaigns, some big brands don't even use them. You know, they use influencers or word of mouth or they go down an event or sponsorship um, kind of fronted format, maybe using a celebrity, but just buying big wadges of space, whether it be outdoors or in newspapers or whatever format they go, that, that seems to be kind of waning at an industry level. I mean, how do you think, JP, you know, what, what, what's working out there for, for reaching that Gen Z population or, and what's the best way to go about kind of hitting that particular demographic, do you think? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a good analogy with what we're discussing retail. I, I, I think the digital journey that's going on right now, the digital world that we're living in, it absolutely is disintermediating lots of different media properties and advertising channels that we have. But I don't think the media gets displaced. I think, uh, I think their roles change and we, we, do, we, we use them in a different way. Uh, for example, we're, we're, you know, radio is still a very powerful medium in Ireland. And look, here we are on a podcast. Uh, we're, yes. we're listening to more and more podcasts as, as a way of informing ourselves. We still have trusted uh, journalists that we want to listen to uh, every day who will also be great uh, enablers of, co- of good conversations and give us conversations we like to talk in Ireland. So we still have a way of, of engaging with that traditional media every day. So, so the media doesn't necessarily get displaced, but the roles change and how we use them. Now, we are consuming more and more media, so we're going to add more and more into our repertoire. For example, in, in we're seeing more and more uh, media properties other offering other other suites of, of of media content through other channels just before we came on there we were having a chat about the new york times for example which is a phenomenal story of how it's had to critically change its business model and one would have thought that the print media was dead and gone i know martin Searle was one of those people who said game over and i remember talking to a number of different people in the industry about saying we need that the, the digital journey has to create the change that you need. So the New York Times, for example, uh, would have been one where circulations were going down, revenues were going down. And what they actually did was, first and foremost, get their balance sheet right. But second of all, they didn't wind down their costs in investing in journalism. They over-invested in journalism. They built up the DNA of the business and built up the capabilities of their journalism to offer more unique capabilities in all sorts of digital t- uh, channels. So it, it is about reinventing the roots of the business and trying to get that right. And as a result of that, then they can move into other areas like podcasts or other uh, media services. So the Gen Z or the millennial, they will come in, they will stay, they will be more mobile oriented, but they will probably re-engage with different uh, media properties in various different ways. You're still going to be out and about. There is a role for, uh, for outdoor advertising. 
You're still going to maybe pick up a printed copy every now and then in different ways. You're still going to be watching television and video in different ways. So, so these things will influence and, and be involved in our media repertoire, but they'll just have different roles. Yes, and, and, and you, you know, um, JP, you're more, more than anybody that it often depends on who's planning the strategy of the company and somebody might have, a, as you said, a, a, a penchant for print and somebody else likes radio and, and another director comes in two years later and says everything is going outdoor or going online. So you can make an argument for all these formats and you can produce big banks of statistics um, and metrics to show each one of them. So it tends to come down to individuals, doesn't it, who make these big buying decisions, which way they're going to switch the budget. So nothing ever dies. Things just go into cold storage for a year, few years and then come back into, into fashion again. Well, first and foremost, you know, I, I'm hope I hope that those individuals will think more first where their consumer is, and what they and what the brand's relationship is with the consumer. And this is the this is the asset that we all have is uh, is our brands. And going back to a point I made earlier, brand models are going to be tested now. Not the business, you know, while the business models are bust, it's your brand. And some brands lend themselves to good conversations, uh, and will will will. will I suppose express themselves better through certain media than other brands. So, um, and so you're you're either digging deep into your brand meaning and its and its difference and its uh, communication, its tone of voice to help express it in certain ways and bring new content and new content utility maybe uh, to to your customers in different ways uh, through different channels. So you, the idea is to go into the understanding of your brand. And yes, maybe you're coming in new to it and saying, do you know what? We're not reflecting well our brand right now. We need to find a new way of communicating and we will go down a different media route or a different channel of choice. But at the end of the day, I don't think we live in a linear world anymore. We live in a non-linear world. So actually, we, if we're not in every channel, there's a great, lovely, um, great word that my, one of my colleagues came up with was, we're not in the four Ps anymore. We're in the four E's. So okay. instead of products, we're in experiences. Instead of uh, places, which is the, ch- the old distribution channel, we're in every place. Instead of prices, we're in exchange and value exchange. And in every, instead of promotion, we're in evangelism. That last piece then, evangelism, becomes then how we build that advocacy into our business where other people do our promotion and advertising for us. So that gets us into a whole way of thinking about how we build up a brand experience, a customer experience, how we build our different channels and how we build our different media. It's going to be difficult. There's no doubt um, the virus word is in there too and how exactly the Christmas retail season generally is going to look. We don't really know at this stage. At the time of recording, as we all know, it's very a dynamic situation with government measures and so on. But it's certainly going to be hopefully a much better year next year for the whole sector, which has been so badly hit in recent years. And thank you very much for coming on Business Impact. That's JP Donnelly, who is the chairman and country manager of WPP Ireland. He also does a, a number of courses and modules here at the UCD Business School. It's been a great conversation and uh, I wish you a happy Black Friday. Thanks very much.